Hey, podcast fans, this is Chris Webster, founder of the APN, and I just want to thank you for downloading this episode. Please consider becoming a member of the APN if you're not already and helping us make more great shows and get them out to the world. Head over to arcpodnet.com slash members or click the link in the show notes. On to the show. You're listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. Welcome to The Dirt, a podcast about archaeology, anthropology, and our shared human past. I'm Anna. And I'm Amber. And we are joined by a special guest this week to help us talk about a fascinating intersection of archaeology and pop culture that we know almost nothing, or in my case, absolutely nothing (laughs) about. Uh, So today we've got Dr. Bill Farley, who is an assistant professor of anthropology at Southern Connecticut State University. His research focuses on colonial life in Southern New England, um, but we are not going to talk about that. That's something else that we will continue to know very little to nothing about for today. <laughs> yeah, today's not that day. Today, uh, we are talking about another of Bill's interests, which is archaeological education through museums and digital entertainment. And so Bill runs a YouTube channel titled Video Game Archaeology, which he uses to teach archaeological concepts to otherwise difficult to reach demographics. So thank you for joining us, Bill. Thank you both for having me. This is so much fun. I'm excited to be here. So Ah. Yeah, so let's just get right into it uh, with one of our regular questions. Um, So what was your trajectory into anthropology? And then once you got to anthropology, how'd you start using video games as a teaching tool for archaeology? Well, my trajectory in anthropology is probably not that unusual of a story. When I went to college, I really knew nothing about archaeology. And um, I I wanted to be I wanted to be a journalism major. So I dodged that bullet. That's, uh, you know, I wanted to go into a nice, secure field like anthropology instead of journalism. Oh, Uh, yeah. For for the money. Yeah, for the money. You know, so that's I wanted to be a journalist. And then I thought maybe I want to be a historian. But I took an introduction to anthropology class in my freshman year, which was taught by the state archaeologist. And he's uh, was a fabulous professor, just inspiring person. Uh, and I just fell in love with it. And I thought, this is like history, except I can, I can be out outdoors. I'd always been a very outdoorsy person. I did Boy Scouts. I did, uh, uh, you know, I'd spent most of my childhood in the woods. So I loved the idea of being, you know, the fieldwork part really attracted me. Uh, and so I just started taking archaeology classes and anthropology classes and got an anthropology major, uh, went to get a master's in historical archaeology. And then uh, ultimately, uh, a PhD in anthropology because somewhere along the line, I also fell in love with, with teach, got some opportunities to work in the classroom and really fell in love with teaching. So I decided that's what I wanted to do. So I took that difficult career trajectory path of trying to be a professor and somehow that actually worked kind of. Uh, so that's, that's a, that's a, we can get into that another time. Uh, but there's a big long gap between that and getting involved in, in archaeo gaming or in, in, in digital archaeology, which is a much more recent thing. So I've been working in archaeology for uh, about 15 years now, which is, makes me feel really old. Uh, but there's a, there's, there's, uh, I only been doing this stuff for about the last year, a little less than the last year. Oh, wow. I've always been really into games and love video games. It's been a hobby of mine since I was a little kid, since I was, you know, uh, I don't know, as long as I can remember really playing with my older brothers and then ultimately uh, getting more into it on my own. Um, so during the pandemic, 
uh, I was sort of cut off from a lot of the stuff that I loved about archaeology. Uh, my fields, you know, field school was canceled. Couldn't really get into the lab. Couldn't work with students hardly at all. Was doing all my teaching online and all the struggles that everybody was having during that time I was having too. And certainly feeling very depressed about that. So I had this, I'd had this idea for ages of uh, maybe I could do a YouTube channel looking at games and archaeology. And so I just started it. I just went, couldn't believe it that this, that the video game archaeology name was available <laughs> on YouTube, <laughs> just grabbed it, started making stuff. And then as I was making some videos, I said, I wonder if anybody else is doing this too. I really didn't know. I really jumped right into it like feet first. And uh, then I discovered that, yeah, actually it was this whole quite vibrant little subdiscipline, relatively young, but uh, there's a lot of people doing this kind of work in archaeology, but also in history and media studies and in all kinds of different disciplines. Um, but even just in archaeology, there was this existing little subdiscipline called um, archaeogaming. So I started, I joined a couple of discords of folks who talking about those things and made a lot of friends. And uh, so, so yeah, it really was a pandemic, a pandemic thing. Uh, it was your getting, sourdough. It was my sourdough. Yes. <laughs> I never made sourdough. Uh, I did a little baking like everybody, I think, but I never did sourdough. Uh, instead, I started a YouTube <laughs> That's the other one. Those yeah. are the two options. Mm-hmm. Those um, are the two things you can do. <laughs> Or you can start a podcast. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's <laughs> um, Archeo gaming is, is a term that I think is pretty, it sounds pretty broad to two people who know nothing about <laughs> it. So what are some of the applications of, of digital or playable worlds for teaching archeology? span I guess more broadly anthropology, but mm-hmm. probably just uh, archeology. span uh, That's a really great question. And this has been in, you know, I developed like a a talk about this that I've been using in some of my classes to introduce students to this. And this ended up being like what I revolved the whole thing around was just trying to define what archaeogaming is. I think because it's a kind of a young discipline still, it's really broad. Um, I don't think it's a bad thing. I think there's a lot of vibrancy there. So there's people who are doing all kinds of different things in archaeogaming from, you know, sort of traditional media criticism, looking at games that have archaeology in it or are about archaeologists and uh, or about ancient places or are about uh, indigenous people or any of the sorts of things that archaeologists are interested in and, and thinking about them ethically um, and whether they're whether these games do a good job uh, for everything from that to people doing like true blue, like trying to sort of recreate archaeological methods within games. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, we're going into a game and, and, and exploring digital spaces themselves uh, that have been created by a mixture of work of like artists as well as players, uh, especially a lot of vibrant work, I think, in online games like MMOs, you know, massively multiplayer online role-playing games, which have some of them have been around now for decades at this point, if you think about like World of Warcraft. Mm-hmm. Um, and they have these worlds that have been lived in and abandoned and uh, and and been altered by players. And you can really explore them like an archaeologist does. Oh, so there are uh, there are digital yeah. ruins. Yeah, there sure are. There really are. Uh, depending on um, so uh, the game, you know, another great example of that is, and I bet I'll mention this again, a game I've never actually played, but it's super popular, especially with young people with kids is um, Minecraft, which is, uh, has an online element that's, you know, the world of Minecraft is like the size of the galaxy or something. I don't know. I don't have the numbers on it. But it's huge. Right. And people just go in there and they build whatever they want. Tiny little villages or huge civilizations and they can create existing. So you can go in and find somebody's, you know, recreated Rome from scratch or whatever, I'm sure. Uh, and uh, and go and explore these things. It's really it's really cool. So it's very broad in that way. 
and I found my way into it has been more through this pedagogical angle of that was my original idea was how can I use games as a, a teaching tool within archaeology? Again, I'm not the only person doing that. I'll think some novelty to what I'm doing. Um, but how can I use games as a teaching tool to teach about archaeological concepts and reach folks who like otherwise would never learn about archaeology or then maybe it would take an anthropology class in college and then never think about it again or something, mm-hmm. right? Somewhere, yeah. uh, somewhere, somewhere, or maybe you could watch a documentary on the discovery channel, never think about archaeology again. Right. Um, or can we make those touch points? That's a whole nother realm. I would say of archaeogaming is, is this sort of pedagogical educational element of it. So I can go on and on about that for ages, but we'll, we'll leave some of that to the uh, mm-hmm. imagination of the listeners, I suppose. <laughs> I have one follow up, which is um, what what kind of concepts can you get at? Are, are there ways to teach archaeological methods or is it more about um, just kind of broader concepts like, um, I don't know, looking at urban planning? You Can you go like, can you dig? Well, just thinking like in Minecraft, do you like do like a. I don't know. I'm you're really, you really blowing my mind here. But doing survey work, like do you like walk across like in a straight line and be like, oh, found a little I found an artifact. Like found like can you is can you do stuff like that? Or is it really just like thinking about like Landscape. the like development and, and trajectory of societies or thinking about like spatial analysis in the <laughs> built environment and view sheds? Like is okay. it that kind of stuff? I think yes, you can do. No. I think you can do all of that, right? So mostly, what on my channel on video game archaeology, which you should check out and subscribe to. In uh, on, on yes, that listeners, cha- do yeah, that. yeah, yeah, yeah. For, uh, <laughs> on that channel, I've mostly done sort of exactly what you're saying. So I have like a video that's about that uses Uncharted which if you do, is a game that's, well, it's about like looting, really. The character's not really an archaeologist, but it's very, yep. yeah, it's, it's, a, it's he, you know, like Lara Croft in Tomb Raider, you know, he's a sort of quasi-archaeologist who, who goes to ancient places and, you know, uh, and, and shoots lots of people. You know, it's a really dumb game. Um, but I, <laughs> yep. I, would, <laughs> I tried to use it as a way to teach about um, methodology, so specifically, the concepts of preservation and taphonomy are like site formation processes because okay. if you find it, an artifact, don't shoot it. Is that yeah, it? well, that, so a little bit of that, but more so <laughs> like he goes, you go to like these ancient places that were ostensibly would be like archeological sites. And they just are not honest about what would exist in those places. So you're just walking around and like picking up, you know, handwritten letters on tables uh, with the ink still fresh and a 400 year old site. Right. Mm-hmm. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, complicated, very Indiana Jones, like, right. Very complicated traps made of wood and rope and everything works and is fine. Right. So it was an opportunity to sort of think about like, okay, let's look at these things and say, what would you actually find if you went to an archaeological site that was this old and in this environment, which of these objects would remain and which of them would be gone? So you could do that. But I, another channel that I'd suggest is another uh, very small channel, even smaller than mine called the Archeo plays. And I love her channel. And um, she does almost exclusively stuff in Minecraft. And I think like a lot of the things that you were mentioning, Amber, like, like really, you know, looking at site at, at Minecraft using it as a way to think about space and the way that, that people live within space in the context uh, of artifacts and in conjunction with landscape and um, really neat. It's also very chill, very fun, fun channel. Um, so you should check that out too. So there are people doing kind of cool stuff with that. So the answer is kind of all of the above. Okay. You know, yeah, I have other videos too that are looking at 
Dark Souls, which uh, is very <laughs> such a hardcore gamer sort of a game. And I love those games, but they're cool. One of the reasons people love those games is because they have this wonderful sense. Of, or another example is um, Zelda um, Breath of the Wild, another game I have videos about, which are these are games that have like wonderful senses of place and space, right? Things we really are interested in as archaeologists. Um, and I wanted to ask the question, like, how did the artists who made these games achieve that? And why do other games not achieve that, right? There's lots of games that kind of stink and it's because you don't really feel like you're in a real place. You don't feel like you're in uh, immersed in a world that has a history and that has uh, a culture. Um, and those games do that really well. And so just sort of exploring the ways that the artists um, have, have, have achieved that. Uh, and that's, that's theoretically beneficial even to game people who are interested in making games who maybe want to achieve something that's, they can learn from archeologists in mm-hmm. this case, Archeo Gamers, about how to make a good game, a game that feels uh, immersive and, and deep in that way. So They need to use thick description, as thick I description. learned. Thick description, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Cliff, we're doing a little Clifford Geertz here on the podcast today. Mm, yeah. <laughs> oh, he's always Cliffy G. He's always just out of frame when I'm around. So, okay, this is so much to think about. This is, like, really exciting. I, I love... I, I love everything you're you're bringing into this conversation. You've really kind of opened up the field, as it were, uh, for me in terms of thinking about like what you can do in in a playable world. And I'm just going to be thinking about that as I try to sleep tonight. Um, but I I want to ask you about your stance on this and sort of what you think about the creation of playable media for the explicit purpose of archaeological interpretation and creating archaeological narratives. Kind of a compliment to what you're saying about like entering a gaming space with an archaeological lens. Like what happens when you kind of not quite invert it, but like twist it in such a way. So I'm thinking about um, uh, at this point, a couple weeks ago, our listeners will have heard about um, Reed Goodman's Tell Billa project, mm-hmm. uh, which is uh, looking at a uh, first millennium site in the Syrian heartland and kind of reconstructing it um, in like an AutoCAD program or, or similar. It was with Autodesk Maya. Yeah. Okay. Uh, creating that um, with a potential use case of, of being a playable space. Um, I think they had mentioned like unity or using something like unity Mm -hmm. for kind of gamifying it. Um, And then also decades ago at this point, um, Chapel Hoyek was built in second life. And I know that like Ruth Tringham and like Colleen Morgan, like did some kind of weird stuff. Was it a phenomenology thing? Were they just like, there, I mean, there are like phenomenological aspects of like going in and like sensing the space and the place and the placiness thereof. Um, and, and so that was sort of less robust just because of what Second Life is and it's, it's like capabilities. <laughs> um, so what do you like? You don't have to have thoughts on those two examples. They're the only two examples that I can think of. But, but just sort of like if someone were to have access to like something like Minecraft, even where it's kind of open, open ended, like it's, you don't have to like have like somebody who has knowledge of CAD and can like do, do like the whole design themselves. Like 
Is there something there? Do you think that that could be like really transformative? Do you think it's a good compliment? Do you think that it's that we run the risk of just kind of like wilding out and like making up a world that doesn't, that can't reflect the archeological record? Yeah, I think that last risk could be there, but I think this is a great idea. And there are people who are doing this, right? People who are making, um, uh, uh, you know, uh, yeah. It, it, so so games have their, their own, video games have their own unique benefits as a media, right? So we can think about like what, all right, so writing, has certain benefits, right? You can be really imaginative. You can be really descriptive. I'm going to go back to Geertz, right? I'm still thinking about Dark Souls and, and Geertzy and Thick Description. That's just like a video title right there. I just got to go. I got I to hold on to that. Uh, I'll, give, I'll give you credit. Just like stop uh, Oh, no, that's okay. Come back in it. <laughs> no, no, but, but um, um, you know, and then film, of course, right, had the benefit of that visual medium, uh, but the, but film has to be has to be directed, right? Except in maybe like really experimental settings, most of the time it's a it's a passive media, right? You sit and you watch it, you experience it. Somebody has created it for you. Games have this, um, you know, the, the game term for it is like ludo narrative, right? Which is it has gameplay, right? It has this element that you can interact with it, and you can even build with it. I love the idea of when you were mentioning Minecraft and something that I know that Archeo plays, my friend of that channel did, she, was, she like recreated the Nazca lines in, in, uh, in, in um, Minecraft, right? So it does have that ability to kind of recreate. And like I was saying, people make all kinds of these cool archeological sites. But I'm thinking about like, I know that, you know, Ian Hodder and the, at, at Chetahayak, they did, they did a lot of stuff with film, right? And, and like 3D spaces where you could like zoom through the artist recreations of the, of the houses. Um, but take that a step further, right? And let people actually sort of live in those spaces um, as players of the game uh, and, uh, and whatever, reconstruct those places. And maybe it does go a different direction from what actually happened, right? The goal wouldn't necessarily mean to recreate culture as it perfectly was some number of thousands of years ago, but just to let people experience life within that space and culture within that space and material culture within that space, there's huge potential there, I, I think, right? And there are people who are doing this. I mean, I know some folks who are, you know, professors of teaching digital archaeology, and this is a skill set I don't have, although I'd love to get it someday because I don't, I've never done any like programming or game, I've never worked in Unity or any of those Unreal Engine or anything like that. But, uh, and there's, there's much simpler game making programs than that, but they'll have a, a class on RKO gaming or on virtual archaeology, digital archaeology, where the final project is like a game jam where the students will get together and make a game that does something archaeological that teaches a concept or let somebody experience something archaeologically through an archaeological lens. There's so much potential creative uh, juice there. Um, so I love that idea. And it's something I would like to eventually get into a bit. I feel intimidated by it because it requires kind of technical knowledge that I don't have. But the whole point of something like Unity, or maybe you use Dreams, which is this uh, which is a, a game making toolkit that's on consoles. That's uh, you could just like buy for like fifty bucks, and people make games in it, right? I don't know. There's a lot of different options for that. So I think that's yeah. I think that's what I got for that question. That's such a good okay. question. I would say yes. My answer is okay. yeah. And and so the question at the end was, you know, do we risk wilding out and people just kind of going crazy with it? Sure. I don't know if that's necessarily a bad thing, right? You let people experience those spaces and you let people just be people in them. Um, maybe and you can set the parameters of the game so people i don't know can't do terrible things or something but that's how you can sort of 
let people experience culture firsthand in that way through the through the medium of a game, which lets you do things that we can't really do in real life. Like we can't get in a time machine. Somebody's mowing a lawn nearby. Hopefully you guys aren't hearing that audio. Uh, you can't, you can't uh, hop in a time machine and zip your way back to Czechoslovakia and live there, but we can create a virtual version of that and then kind of do that. Right. That's pretty amazing. Yeah. Pretty cool, you know? And I could see how that would having a space that you would uh, sort of uh, create as, as kind of a, a landscape in which um, like, human players can like act as like actors within it the thing that came to mind for me is just thinking about um in doing excavations where you just have sort of foundations and thinking about movement through a like residential space and so like where uh where alleys make sense where access points make sense where doors make sense where entrances make sense and sort of having um those those sorts of things that seems like a something that could be helpful in archaeological interpretation if you have sort of a site plan um yeah we have like fact checking almost yeah, mm-hmm. and just sort of like testing testing it out in a way mm. that you you can't um, when you are not. The walls in a posi- aren't there. <laughs> well, yeah, when yeah. you're not in a position to like reconstruct it, or mm-hmm. even if you mm-hmm. are, and thinking about like reconstructing it and what you would want to do, because uh, there are some um, sort of heritage bodies that are interested in reconstructing mm-hmm. um, sites. Uh, so that's. Um, You know, I think there's something really there in that. And, you know, guessing we're not inventing this on the fly here, although we kind of are independently. Right. Uh, Methodologically, you could think about how I think this is what you were saying. And uh, but to build on it. Right. You could imagine doing some like model building about site construction by putting what, you know, hopefully I'm not just read saying stating what you were saying, but like, right. You can put down what you have and then you let a bunch of people play the space, right. You let yeah. people virtually experience it and see where do people naturally go. Now you have to, of course, consider that within cultural context and right, you have to right, add yeah. constraints. And- yeah, of course. Right. And, yeah. and, and you'd have to be critical of the results, but there's probably valuable data there just about how people might just sort of uh, it, it just sort of inhabit that space and move yeah. through it. Um, and, 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 that and sort of thinking be, about yeah. like what's uh, what's intuitive or what's practical of just thinking about like I'm in this space and I want to get over there. Mm-hmm. So now I have to like. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. It doesn't tell you everything because we don't have that cultural element necessarily. Yeah. But it but it that's part of the story. Right. How do we actually practically move our human bodies through spaces? Right. That's uh, that's something that ancient people had to do, too. Uh, and the same yeah. way we do. And you could uh, you could sort of model that. That's cool. It's right? crowdsourcing a model, basically. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. And like testing, like but ways in which you can um, t- test something that, uh, you know, because like irrespective of cultural context when it is hot we like to be in the shade um like when it is cold we like to be like where it's warm warm, um and and you know we don't like to be rained on um at length uh like those sorts of unless you're in a nicholas sparks novel barring somebody becoming like a like a weird like copper cartel uh like that you sort oh, of get setting like, up a, sort of a like, weird like, copper yeah making thing. yeah just like making like this game like devolve into turning some kind it of into like a grand theft chatelier yeah well, no, just sort of like some kind of anarcho-capitalist sort of like mess wow, that's um, like, you might need to kind of deconstruct people's expectations if the people who are playing the game are 
uh, dare I say it, gamers, uh, right? We, we have been, people who have been playing games for many years have been conditioned to expect certain things out of games, right? So you do have that. Grand Theft Auto is such a great example, right? That's such a uh, important quote unquote game because it did teach right? Well, I'll just drive my car on the sidewalks and I'll just, uh, you know, shoot people for no reason. Right. There are no rules. Yeah, exactly. Right. So you'd have to somehow now we're just brainstorming and experimental design, uh, right. You'd have to somehow <laughs> works for me, encourage folks not to, uh, play the game that way right <laughs> try, try, try to try to live like human beings you'd, yeah you'd have to have a code of like a, a tamarabi's code huh? of yeah. of behavior no okay amber's making a face <laughs> that's i deserve that face that's fine no but that's i wonder if anybody's doing that um i'll bet i'll bet i don't know off the top of my head if there are but i wouldn't be surprised there's there's a lot of creative stuff happening out there yeah so. well the dirt podcast at gmail.com yeah. if you're doing it you know somebody who's doing it let us know. Tell us in the comments, everybody. Oh, there's no problem. <laughs> <laughs> Forget to like and subscribe. <laughs> so we've mentioned a whole bunch of video games by now. Um, Dark Souls, Grand Theft Auto, et cetera, et cetera. Do you have favorite examples of games that are out there that are playable that use archaeology in their storylines or in their world building? <laughs> is there I want a, a best and a worst so is, is there an example of a game that does a, a really good job and an example of a game that does a really bad job all right I'm gonna one up you and give you three examples I'm gonna give you please a, a yes. good a good middle and bad okay. Right? okay all right so I'll start with good which is a game that is um not ostensibly about archaeology it's actually a game uh uh I'm only picking games because that I made video games about videos about because I I've thought about them. No, that's right. So my my most recent game was about a game called Outer Wilds, a game which you play as an alien does not Mm -hmm. take place in our world. uh, But your character is essentially like a little alien astronaut and you fly out from like your planet and you go to tiny little planets in your tiny little solar system. And ostensibly the whole point of the game is you're exploring the ruins and documents, texts of uh, like an ancient civilization that used to live in this solar system. And there's game reasons why you have to do that and whatever. It and they don't exist anymore. They don't exist anymore. There's no ma'am. like descendant community. No- like, this <laughs> oh, no, no. Like, but so this exists outside of like a settler colonial kind of. Yeah, it does. It does. Uh, like, You're separated by they, that, that, that species has gone extinct and your species evolved after they went extinct. Okay. So they have not, they've been crushed down. Way to deal with that. Yes, they do. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm thinking about like how we like can both have something outside of, outside of that construct, but also dealing with something inside that construct. So I wasn't sure which one. No, no. And that would be a really interesting thing to explore in games. And I'm, if I, I bet if I racked my brains for a few minutes, I could think of some games that have at least attempted to explore that relationship right like indigeneity and descending. like like explicitly not yeah, like explicitly. not not uh, replicating and then yeah this game sort of like, avoids that okay by, cool by saying okay you're an alien you're in this other place they crush down time and space in 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 ways that make sense in the game but you know what would potentially take millions of years is presumably not that long and the size of your solar system is like teeny tiny it takes like five minutes to okay. fly across the spaceship okay. um so they've, they've played around with it a little bit it's a sci-fi yeah. way but the this this sort of ancient species um i shouldn't say they do do a cool thing with this because your species the species you play as is like a less 
quote unquote advanced civilization. They're like just discovering space flight. They, they have a kind of a folksiness to them. They play like banjos and things like that. Uh-huh. Uh, uh-huh. And, and, and it's, you can, you can actually kind of, <laughs> you, have my interest. you can, you can sort of, you can, it's a wonderful little game. Uh, and it's uh, uh, put out by Annapurna Inter- Interactive and it's, it's beautiful little game. And uh, it's not that little, it takes a while, but, but you can actually be, there's a little bit of a cultural anthropological element in it in that you can just talk to the other members of your own species and they'll talk about your history on your little planet, the history of your exploration of the solar system. You can even learn, learn a little bit about the evolution of your species and like sort of secret areas. Um, so there's a little bit of that like paleoanthropology kind of element. But then when you go out into space, you are seeing these ruins and texts from this ancient civilization um, who, and, and the whole point of the game is to try and reconstruct what happened to them because it's important to learn that to save your own species mm. from something that's happening. I don't mm-hmm. want to, I don't want to spoil it too much. No spoilies. Uh, okay. And so you, you're acting as an archeologist the whole game without it ever really telling you, you are the game actually only uses the word archeology span one time. Um, so, but nonetheless, you have to, you're acting as an archeologist. You're going into these spaces. They're just sort of ruins. They don't explicitly tell you anything. You have to try and reconstruct the story based on texts and material culture and architecture um, and uh, and spatial clues. It's a great game for thinking like an archaeologist. If you want to play, do you meet anybody else? Like, do you like when you're wandering around? Do you just like meet this like kooky old? Like professor who I'm thinking of Victor Serianiti who just like camps out at like the site and like and and accosts uh, people and yeah no they're they're kind of like hangs out and he's like you got questions it's sort of like what seems to be like what have I don't know I've never encountered no no there is kind of an example of this because in the game there are you're not the first astronaut so there are like five or six other uh, members of your species astronauts who are just like out in the solar system and you can stumble upon them and they tell you about things that they've found and they've discovered. So the answer to that jokey question was kind of yes. (laughs) So, and, and so this is one where I'm the only player and I'm there and I talk to non-playable characters who who just are sort of like going through their like little loop and until I like meet them and then they're like, Oh, hello. And then they, yeah. And there's a time. So, so yeah, exactly. This is a totally one player game. So there's no multiplayer element. So you're only speaking to non-player entirely made by artists. So good players have no effect on the world, which I think is an important distinction for different games when you're thinking about them archeologically, right? Some games players can, can, can impact directly. You can build things, you can destroy things, you can move things, you can, uh, uh, you, yeah, you can, you can spawn new characters, right? And Deliberately the, misinterpret things to you see can your sure. own bias. You could, uh, you know, you could try and do that in Outer Wilds, although it would lead to your death. Uh, you are, so, uh, oh, oh no. <laughs> so yeah, you could, right? The whole goal is to actually try and properly interpret what was happening in the past. And if you don't, you're sort of Is doing, there a right answer? There is a there is a real story that happened, but there's enough ambiguity in that story to uh, to leave it up to the player to, you know, have some flexibility in their interpretation. Right. So you do find evidence like here's what happened. But how did that thing actually happen? How did it get there? What kind of decisions were made by members of this species um, is left. You have an outcome, but not necessarily the the points that 
the decision no. points or the turning points that no that they led explicitly to the... don't give you all those points in between so you have mm-hmm. to make some you have to make some cognitive leaps you have to make some interpretive leaps to get to the end goal that is so cool i might play this game at some point it is really good this is something challenge. that's really um i know we're only on the first one of your three-part answer <laughs> this is like really like getting it's really getting me because it's also like i'm having trouble accepting or (laughs) I reject that there is something it's deceptively objective how are we creating this narrative like is was it a collapse was it a decline was it just a redist like a restructuring play the game bud I think I see what you mean and 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 I don't know if this game necessarily achieves that and you'd have to think pretty hard about how to achieve that right how do you leave it open-ended enough that the player is left having to truly like make an open-ended interpretation of what happened, right? The way archaeologists really do with it, with the way we accept in archaeology, well, at least some archaeologists do, um, that are all of our interpretations are at least somewhat subjective, right? We cannot possibly know everything about the past. There's no way to recapture everything about the past, even if we did. Yeah. In the interest of making a satisfying game, the yeah. the producers of the game would have had at least some some conclusion like that allow the player to reach like some kind of conclusion whether rather than just be like well i guess we'll never know for sure because i guess like a like an extremely post-processual game would be like not very marketable no it's like extreme yeah it's a little bit it's it's like i'm going to make i'm going to design a postmodern game. <laughs> yeah. I can't wait for my questions. So I I talk about in that video, if you check out that Outer Wilds video that I made, I talk about how I think they actually utilize post-processual and post-structural theory. Okay, I'm just going to watch man. your video. I'm not Yeah, you should. Because <laughs> I, I, I think they do utilize that more. I think they do draw actually from like the, the arc of archaeological theory. Like I think there's a little ethnographic analogy in there. There's a little middle range theory. There's a little culture history. But it, there a lot of it is... Um, a lot of it is quite, quite postmodern in their approaches. Is this, is this, I, I, is this okay when we get into, can we talk about postmodernism? Yeah. We, can we talk about the yeah. Hegelian dialectic? I mean, can we, well, we don't, can we, I mean, <laughs> no, no, go, go watch yeah. Bill's videos. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't get that much into that either. Cause right. Cause the goal is to actually try and reach. Yeah, that. no, that's fine. They don't need to have that's like great. a graduate degree and whatever, but, and the game doesn't require you to have it. You don't have to have read. Yeah. Yeah. Or do or Foucault. Ideal. Oh no, yeah. I'm on board. Yeah. It's, uh. So that's a good, I think that's, that's a, a good one. That's a good one. <laughs> What's the middle one? My middle example, I would say is the Assassin's Creed games. So these are I probably was going to ask about those. Yeah. These yeah. are probably the most famous archaeology games. You don't play as an archaeologist. You play as a character living in ancient places uh, from a really wide variety, right? So from everything from ancient Egypt to ancient Greece to, to uh, 18th century uh, uh, North America uh, to, you know, and, um, uh, my favorite game uh, take place in the, uh, the Italian Renaissance and uh, like Florence and places like, right. So they, they, they've really covered this wide slew of things. And um, uh, here's why I would say it's a medium game, it, it, especially as the series has gone on, they, have tried to be, I think, as historically accurate as possible, right? There's like, 
you can hear the original languages. In some cases, you can, the material culture is like thoughtful. They've clearly talked to archeologists about this and looked at like museum collections and archeological collections. Uh, the clothing is they try and get that right. In many cases, hopefully I don't get skewered for this. Uh, but uh, they, you know, they, 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 they're, they're, they're an attempt at historical accuracy, even though there's some, some leeway in that. Um, but beyond that, there's not too much more deep thought. I wouldn't call it an archaeological game. It does not require you to really think like an archaeologist. It doesn't really ask you to think very deeply about these cultures that you're experiencing or any particularly challenging elements of them. You're just like in those worlds, murdering folks, right? <laughs> like that's and running around and doing doing parkour up and down walls and stuff like that. Uh, so that does say assassin in the title. Yes. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. You play as an assassin, right? So yes, it is an explicit game. I thought maybe it was the the uh, the tribe in Iran. I played the game yeah. like the first game like 237 years ago, but I'm pretty sure that that's where the idea comes from. Didn't Dan Brown also use that in one of his dumb books? Uh, I just I, I just know like have. Freya Stark in the in the Valley of the Assassins is yeah. I'm uh, pretty sure the whole the whole arc. So there is some more dangerous stuff in there. That, like the arc of the game is that there's this like long standing like thousands of years old like conflict between the knights templar and the assassins and they're both like you know pseudo archaeologically based in some sort of actual historical thing and i think the i think the assassins are based on that i think um if i remember correctly it's been a long time since i played that game okay. right so that leads me really well into my bad game here's what i'm gonna pick for a bad game not actually bad games very fun uh, games to play uh, uh is 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 actually uncharted and tomb raider now Oh, before, before I it was Prince of Persia. No, Prince of Persia. I've never played any of the Prince of Persia game, but I have had other people into RQ gaming swear by those games that they love them. So okay. I don't know. I can't. I, I can't. I've only seen the film. Yeah, I can't speak to you it. You saw that? Is it like Jack? on purpose? No. Is it Jake Gyllenhaal? Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Noted. <laughs> be a, noted. Be an actor. Airplane, right? <laughs> Jake Gyllenhaal. So here's why I'm going to say Tomb Raider and Uncharted. Not because they're bad games, not because they're always like overtly, they've, they're violent games. And sometimes they do interesting, thoughtful things with archaeology and with material culture and with, with relationships with, with descending communities. They do some interesting things there. But because they are kind of built upon this Indiana Jones notion that what archaeology ultimately is about is about extraction. It's about extraction of treasure, of, 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 treasure, of trinkets, of things uh, to, you know, to put them in a museum, to uh, to to get them away from bad people, to uh, uh, because they have supernatural uh, factors that might, you know, destroy the world. Right. There's that kind of stuff in there. And there is a kind of a dangerous seed of pseudo archaeology in both of those game series. Um, and, and I don't, I have wondered often while loving those games and the history of those games, how much they don't add to the, the problem that we have with the, the proliferation of pseudo-archaeology, right? The idea that all archaeology is ultimately about Atlantis and it's ultimately about, you know, ancient global spanning uh, civilizations and, and ancient aliens and whatever. And, well, we all and know like that, you know, suppression of of truth the kernel at the heart of all of that that one could be like well is like um a pushback against gatekeeping mm -hmm. um like i think that that might be sort of the there is a starting point there that is like totally bad sure um 
but and I think but that then. that's <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah yeah and and that's and that is the sort of thing that gets um, co-opted and exploited by um, the malintended. The only thing that can stop a bad man with the trowel is a good man with the trowel kind oh, of man. attitude that I've I think, never heard. Like, That's good. I just came up with that. Really? <laughs> yeah. Oh, this is the kind of content she's on the show for. Put that on yeah. a t-shirt. That's merch right there. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> I, but it's got to be ironic and the slash yeah. S at the end or something. <laughs> <laughs> but, but thinking about... Um, like that kind of attitude of, of kind of, you know, because who, who could get it? I mean, the people who get it are the Nazis or the Soviets or like whoever is seen as like the big bad. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so uh, that attitude in its more placid sense is sort of like, we have this because the descendant community can't take care of it. Or like we have like a greater, you know, thinking about like the Elgin marbles, like that. I think that there is a line to be drawn from, sort of the like the indiana jones kind of attitudes towards things it belongs um, in a museum to <clears throat> to like the elgin Mar- marbles and like the the persistence of british claim over it and so i think that <laughs> that yeah that, that's very compelling and that's also like another place that you see pseudo-archaeology popping up and kind of planting a seed in people's mind because like you know you're playing a game when you're like 11 12 13 and then and from then on and so by the time you approach by the time you take your sort of like general studies requirement that you take like anthro or archaeology to like get credit like for a divisional requirement those things are so deeply seated in your brain so it's like part of like your like approach to the world and your movement through your world it's something that is like deeper than known it's just like part of your experience Hmm. I completely commandeered the conversation. Yeah. No, no, no. About we, and, we, and we know that like, you know, when you put a fingernail on that pseudo archeology span stuff and you all have seen this on Twitter and social media, right? One fingernail on that stuff and you scratch just slightly and there's what's underneath white supremacy, racism, anti-Semitism, right? Uh, it's th- this, this stuff pseudo archeology span is used as a cover for really evil stuff. Um, and, uh, and, and, and I don't know, there are some people who are starting to think the, about the role that people have been thinking a long time about how media like movies has, has, um, um, influenced that, you know, but games do too. Right. And games that have become yeah. an important part of media for a long time, decades now. And like you were saying with the sort of habitus thing, right. Yeah. Some folks who maybe have been playing the Assassin's Creed games or the Tomb Raider games since, the late nineties or early two thousands, that's a long time that that's a part of your, that's a quarter century of time that that's been a part of the culture. Right. And um, so even though those games aren't explicitly, I don't want to say that like, you know, I, I don't think the tomb Raider is, is trying to be a white supremacist game or whatever, but it reflects certain pseudo, pseudo archeological themes that are used towards those purposes mm-hmm. elsewhere. Right. And you can see that as being a gateway to that. So yeah, I agree. I, I agree. Yeah. yeah. And also like it can, it triggers an, an interest. And so you can have people who end up in. Um, follow the, follow the white supremacist rabbit. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, and yeah. And that's, um, which like, it's like a completely separate corner of my, my, my soapbox of thinking about like folks who were in like classics departments with me and like, and folks that like sort of came from like a sort of like, fantasy interest like into Mm -hmm. like medieval and late antiquity and that you bring 
some of you bring some stuff with you when you come to that mm-hmm. um, and it becomes this kind of like recursive um like sort of creation of like narratives and media and narratives and media and they're kind of in conversation with each other um possibly implicitly um yep great okay so to some, <laughs> so outer wilds good yeah outer wilds is good uh what did i say assassin's creed was medium middle yeah. and uh and 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 with caveats tomb raider and uncharted have they've got baggage is what i'll say there are games that are like explicitly bad actors right there are games out there that are made to distort our understanding of history there are games that are you know we could talk we were we were mentioning i think before we started recording about games like civilization um which is oh, i love those games have <laughs> dumped more hours into those games than almost any other series in the world but they've got right there's there's some problematic stuff in there right they give you this idea that every culture in the world they're very eurocentric right they're very uh they're very um uh technocratic like the the technology of essentially your world history class in high in an American high school is, is the root of like all culture in the world. Right. Um, yeah. And like the, the goal is to continually improve your technology and your, yeah, it's, uh, it's sort of like economy, the, the capital C civilization, like the linear, mm. yeah. um, that like one day we will advance to the point of being like white people. Part of the problem with civilization is that that series is now so old the first one came out in the early nineties, I think. And it was probably based on like good archeological, anthropological, historical theory at that time. Um, and, and, but now it's, it's really not anymore. Right. We've moved really well past that in a lot of ways. I wish I could think of all the time. There, there are some, there are a lot of like, I frankly quite crappy sort of like, European medieval violence simulator mm-hmm. strategy games out there that are. I like, I like the idea of it just being called like untitled European medieval violence simulator, <laughs> yeah. like the like untitled mm-hmm. goose game that it's mm-hmm. just like. <laughs> yeah. And some of these have actually been explicitly made for the purpose of like distorting history to tell a certain history wow. about yeah. how things work yeah. and they can be quite explicitly. They, they, they often, they don't usually break the popularity curve and become big, massive hits, but they make money and people play them and they reinforce those people's ideas. I mean, there was the big news right now. The big controversy right now is that like Activision Blizzard put out like a, like a quantified rate. I don't know. You, mm. you guys should Google. They just mm-hmm. put out this. Yeah. And it's, it's like there's Blizzard got canceled. Yeah. Blizzard got canceled. Uh, they canceled themselves. They put they did, this thing they out there. Bad. Is that the one that had the like, so they they have decided that they they've been criticized for a long time for a lack of diversity in games, right? That they 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 have this one of their big titles is Overwatch, which is a game. Yes, game okay, yeah, okay, a lot. That is that one, and, yeah. and Overwatch is a game that has like a lot of diversity and it has has people of lots of different um, uh, backgrounds and identities. Um, but they've definitely made some mistakes with this over the years and not included certain characters and the the the, the criticisms like, are everyone's extremely horny looking. Oh yeah, I know. Well, you got to narrow it down. Uh, video games, <laughs> my dear. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, for sure, definitely. Yeah, everybody's real sexy in Overwatch. So they gave they made this tool that they were calling what was like diversity space. It's like it something takes, very cringy. I don't. It, it takes characters and it scores them in different aspects of their identity. 
their race, their ethnicity, their gender, their 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 sexual orientation, their gender identity. Pan, uh, uh, Did you know uh, that that was quantitative, Amber? Did you know yeah. that those things were quantifiable? They were <laughs> accused of of not of not doing a good enough job on diversity, and they tried to algorithm their way out of it. They tried, yeah, they tried to, to math it, nerd it. They tried to turn it into a math problem. And I, I wrote. I mean, tweet. this is this does not sound much different than like most corporate environments that I've been a part of, and like nonprofit environments because yeah. they like quantify like how like how diverse they are. Yeah, and it's it turns like, out well, that's a like, bad have, way to do it. You, yeah, they were bragging about it. Uh, this weird. We've solved diversity, problem. everyone. But, but, like we got like butch green ladies. Yeah, or like, like that. we've got gay elves now. Yeah, there's gay elves. So everything's good. Get, they get a ten on the diversity score. We need to take a quick break for ads, and then we'll be right back. It's Chris Webster again. If you haven't checked out our new parent website, culturomedia.com, then please do. Culturo is spelled K-U-L-T-U-R-O, and it's where we promote all of our live events. We've got one coming up in November. Check it out over at Culturo when it gets posted. If it's already happened and you're hearing this, then as a member, you can go to your member pages and see the event recording. Our live events are always free, but you have to show up during the event to see it. So that's culturomedia.com for all our live events and more. Culturomedia.com. Chris Webster here, founder of the APN and host of several shows. I just wanted to let you know about our membership program and what it offers. Members of the APN get, for just $7.99 a month or cheaper if you pay for the year, ad-free episodes so you don't have to listen to me on the breaks, membership in our Slack team so you can continue the conversation with hosts and other members, and exclusive access to any of our live event recordings. Live events are always free, but you only get to watch the recording if you're a member. So head over to arcpodnet.com slash members for more info and to become a member. Our podcasts are always free, but this is just a little something extra and it really helps us out. That's arcpodnet.com slash members. This is Chris Webster with the APN. I'm also a project manager for several industries. I wouldn't be able to keep on track with really anything if it wasn't for Motion. With Motion, I just say what I need to do, how long I think it will take, what sort of priority I think it has, and Motion builds my day for me. It'll even build in breaks because, let's be honest, it's hard to remember to stop to eat lunch sometimes. So head over to arcpodnet.com motion for a free trial and a discount if you sign up. You'll kick back a small amount to the APN if you do. That's arcpodnet.com motion. We are back and I have a question um, <laughs> as my dog scratches at the door. Since we've already started uh, workshopping mm, mm, our mm-hmm. archaeological game. Uh, so if you were to design a video game based on an archaeological site or a cultural world, um, where would you start? And I guess follow up question, would you want to do like a real one or would you want to do like a outer world kind of like completely fake sandbox where we uh sort of explore test out like theories and methods i think this is an expansion of what we've already been talking about and um so i think we just keep we just keep planning our fantasy game here i think there's, <laughs> this is a cop-out answer but i think there's a benefit to both of those right <laughs> that and and we've started to touch on this a little bit but if it depends on what you're trying to teach maybe Maybe that's a good maybe that, maybe that gets me out of being a cop out. Uh, it, it depends on what you're trying to teach. If you're trying to teach about a specific culture in the past or a specific archaeological site, 
maybe it makes sense to make a game where you are immersed in that place and you are experiencing it that way. And then you can integrate history and archaeology and, uh, and, and, and language, right. Any tools that you have, any data that we have to, uh, uh, and then think of clever ways that the Ludo narrative, right. The way the player actually interacts with those things is, is, uh, powerful and educational and moving and entertaining and all the things you're trying to do with the game. Uh, if what you want to teach is more broad sort of concepts of culture, I, I see the value of, setting that in a world that doesn't have um, the uh, the trappings of, of reality. It right? doesn't have like analogs. Yeah. And games and game makers have tended to do this by using sci-fi. So another, mm. um, you know, you, so you do, you do have outer wilds. Um, they do that. They like to, you know, yeah. Cause if you set it on an alien world or whatever, you can say, okay, this is all, we give you all the building blocks of culture uh, the material elements and the, and the people and the languages and the, and the, the thoughts and the feelings and the, um, the emotions and the, uh, the, the biology, we're going to give you all that stuff and then just go to town building something. And then you can explore the kind of nature of how that happens, right? How do, how do cultures, well, how does ethnogenesis happen? Where do cultures come from? How do they emerge? How do they change? How do they not change through time uh, and explore it that way? Uh, so there's, I think it really depends on what you want to, what you want to do with your game. Uh, no Man's Sky is the game I was thinking of 30 seconds ago. And I said, I was just going to screen the name. That's another game. That's uh, one of the big names in RQ gaming is a guy named Andrew Reinhardt, who's who you should check out. He's uh, he's great. He's a wrote, a, wrote a book on RQ gaming and his more recent research. A lot of it has been on this game, no Man's Sky, which is a online game, multiplayer, in which they just throw you into like like a procedurally generated galaxy, like truly like that big, and you just go and explore planets. And over time, they've added elements where you can like land on planets, and other players are there, and you can build like bases and right. So it's got this kind of elements. That's another game that's that's sort of like Outer Wilds in that way, but procedurally I've generated. Heard, I've heard Wilds. that it is gorgeous. That it is like playing it as like a very like can be a beautiful like therapeutic experience yeah from folks that i know yeah i've actually never played it it is a gorgeous game and it's changed a lot when it first launched it was apparently a very lonely game because no matter how many players there were you're exploring an entire galaxy you are and never I going think to that was like what people were saying that they loved about it is that it's yeah. like there are people who came to understand things about themselves like mm -hmm. through the process of playing that game and i well, find that really i don't know that um, i want a revelation about myself while i'm just trying to have a nice time exploring a galaxy see, but that, that was this the thing the i was like maybe I'll fundamental play yeah fundamental difference between you and me <laughs> well I, I mean that's one of the things i love about games that we can get into game you know our games art quote unquote uh right in this sense that you know, there are a lot of video games that do that. I love finding those experiences personally, games that do make me feel emotions and, and give me big feelings, as I say with my kids, uh, and, uh, and, and maybe make me uh, discover things about myself. And then there are other games that don't do that, right? That's not what they're going for. They're just old-fashioned popcorn entertainment, blow some stuff up. Uh, and that's okay. I love that there's that diversity. Yeah, Anna, Anna would play Untitled Medieval European violence no, simulator. I, I don't. I, I wouldn't want just the violence, but I would want to just like explore a castle. Yeah. Oh, actually, I had that game. Okay. So, <laughs> wow, that just brought back a really vivid memory. So, 
on a recent episode, you mentioned the discovery, like the Dorling Kinderley. Yeah, Dorling Kindersley. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yep. Thank you. <laughs> Dorling Kinderegg. Yep. And they had uh, CD-ROM games and there was one that was a medieval castle and you had to like explore the castle. It was gamified. Like you had What's to- What's it dis- called? Castle. I think so. Because like old school games like that often did have names like that. Like I love like Atari 2600 games. They really are like, like ghost house or like yeah. <laughs> castle. That's what this is what they're called. I Give love me something that. simple. Yeah. I think you had to like discover like uh, the Baron of the castle was doing some kind of crime and you had to figure out what it was. Was it wage theft? Yeah, I think, I think it was money based. <laughs> yes. I might've been embezzling. I don't remember, but yeah, you it was very, very historically based and you could like click on things and learn about the material culture within the castle. And but then also you had to hide if you if you saw the Baron coming. Yeah. One thing this brings up is that these kinds of like this, there's this, this sort of uh, almost pejorative term edutainment games have been around <laughs> forever. Right. As long as video games have been around, probably pretty darn close to it. There have been games that have been explicitly the whole point of them was to teach you something right some of them are terrible and some of them are pretty good like that game sounds like it like it totally owns like I, especially if it's 1994 or whenever when yeah you're i i mean i think <laughs> i eight-year-old me had a blast <laughs> yeah exactly right so so um so it's not like this is a new idea using games to explicitly to teach something but the good ones tend to also be fun <laughs> Right. Uh, and that that can be that can be hard to do. I mean, Oregon Trail is the ultimate example, right? A game that yes. as, that's somehow accidentally teaches you about uh, genocide and uh, the buffalo yep. hunts. Uh, and uh, yeah. And uh, but but also is yeah. right. But that game was enthrallingly fun to a seven year old in the 90s. Uh, and you played it and and didn't think about the larger context. In think about that larger context, we walked away from it going like, well, I guess there was a time when people used wagons and I guess there was a time when, when and uh, oh, just like today, being a banker is the best way to be. <laughs> That's, that was, yep. uh, we just got to avoid was, dysentery and be a banker. Did you know that the first iteration of Oregon Trail was non-visual? Like, it was a text game, right? Text yeah. Game. And to hunt the buffalo, you you typed bang oh. and then it would like return a result. Like, did you hit the buffalo or not? I did not know that. I did not. A lot of early video games are text-based and they really, you can see that kind of Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah, right. Tabletop game influence. Yeah, storytelling. In your burgeoning career as a teacher who uses digital formats, has there ever been a moment that's not digital formats? I'm not saying like you're new to texting. If you I'm that old. You know? No, no, no. <laughs> ha, has there been a moment that stood out to you in which a student or a colleague or or you as a player um, had had a light bulb moment playing a game that led to an education or a career in, in anthropology or archaeology? I, I mean, I can't deny that some of the games I was playing as a kid and up through high school and college didn't you know, influence me towards this career. And, you know, Civilization is a good example. It's a game we've brought up a couple of times. I played the heck out of those games uh, all through middle school, high school, and, and early college before I really picked this as a career. And I loved those games. And I love the way that they depicted the idea of history's movements and invention. And right, I, I didn't know at the time that it was from a very Eurocentric lens. I would learn that later and that critical realization would also be a quite formative experience, I would say, in mm-hmm. my early career. Uh, so that part, those 
types of media um, for for sure uh, were a, were a part of what probably led me. I honestly, until until you said this question, I don't think I've really thought about it. Uh, I'm oh no, I'm having a moment of discovery. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> yeah, but for sure, yeah. As much as as books about you know fantasy kingdoms that you know we were mentioning before, I think Amber mentioned that before, right? That that pushed people into studying classics or something like that. You know, there were games that had that influence on me, too. Uh, and I played a lot of fantasy games, a lot of, you know, um, RPGs, JRPGs, like like your Final Fantasies and games like that. And uh, so, you know, those JRPG. games. JRPG. JRPG stands for Japanese RPG role-playing game. Oh, and very it's a, specific. Yeah, it's a genre of. It's a, okay, it's a school. A school. Yeah, it's a genre of video game that dates back to. um well, Final Fantasy is probably the most, and Dragon Quest is like the most famous mm-hmm. examples of JRPGs, but there's much more recent examples as well. Uh, and that they're called JRPGs to separate them from RP, like, uh, you know, what are sort of Western RPGs, like, I don't know, the Elder Scrolls games or something like that, um, uh, which sure. are not made by Japanese studios and they tend to be texturally different um but that's yeah so hmm. the, that's that's where that that's where that term comes from and i loved those games growing up and they're very much fantasy worlds and they deal with history their own histories and i have had students who have come to sort of my like introduction to archaeology class and have told me you know their first introduction was ancient aliens was a documentary that they saw on uh netflix uh was a book that they read uh was a you know a some some you know archaeology egyptology book they found in you know their parents bookshelf when they were a kid and they just yeah, like sure. looking at the pictures um i'm trying to think if a student has ever told me that a game is what drove them and give I'm it not, a decade or two yeah i think, I think it's uh, yeah oh so i don't know if that's because not enough time has passed or if it's because students think i wouldn't care about that but now they do because i talk about this stuff all the time uh so maybe they maybe they would feel more comfortable or maybe doing they that. don't know this is maybe they don't I, know that is, you know so this no no that's not what i'm saying uh, <laughs> no no maybe they don't they don't know that that's the thing so i'm i this is i'm thinking about this and i keep bringing it up because like most people who are doing research they're trying to like bludgeon everyone else with their research and like shoehorn themselves into like i'm trying to make myself relevant here um but thinking about the the kind of um implicit pushes like they might not recognize that that was like maybe they were playing this game and then when they saw that book on their parent shelf and they recognized that like that is something that they understand to be you know like look at look for your root or like look for like whatever like like um inspired you to do this like so they're they're sort of going through the index of their memories looking for something that looks a certain way mm-hmm. like whether it and and so perhaps they aren't recognizing the like playing a game as me, be meeting those criteria for for something like that so it could be that mm-hmm. they were playing games before they were consciously thinking about these ideas and it was only when they saw a certain documentary or like a read a certain book or 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 saw something at a museum that they were like ah archaeology and so in some ways that's kind of the root of what this my youtube channel is kind of like that was sort of its thesis statement right was to sort of was sort of say uh, how do we reach folks who maybe are really into games because there's a huge space of people like that millions 
millions and millions of people who love games who maybe have never heard of archaeology or don't know anything about it. Um, and can you use that as a bridge, right? And so I think you've really hit on that, right? We've accepted for a long time that a documentary, a museum exhibit, uh, a book, those are acceptable spaces to learn about something as esoteric as archaeology. I'm not that archaeology is is necessarily esoteric, but right, but it's viewed as such. It's an academic discipline. Yeah, it's not right? one of like the four yeah. core classes that you take, like in exactly yeah. like that. Yeah. Yeah. So it's seen as something that's a little bit more specialized, right? Um, and but there are games that are, I mean, I was just, just talking a minute ago, right? As I was thinking about this question, I was recognizing some of my own experiences with games that I do probably think influenced me towards this career and towards being interested in this. And I never really even thought about it, never even thought about it at all. Um, as opposed to yeah, I don't know, going to, you know, we used to go to a lot of museums, we used to go to the Museum of Natural History in New York or the Smithsonian uh, Museum of American History in DC. I went to all those places as a kid with my parents and was enthralled by them. And I assumed that that's what drove me to be his, or I had a good history teacher in high school and uh, he helped me fall in love with the, with the discipline of history. I thought that's what drove me. Right. Yeah. And of course those things did, but you're not driven by one that's a kind of a myth, right? Like, oh yeah, I was inspired by this teacher who made, that's why I became a whatever. Um, Probably a lot of factors. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It's actually a multifaceted thing. It's coming from all your different loves um, of which a teacher might be influential, but it's probably you're getting other, you're getting other signals that way too. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think that like, there's like tremendous value in that work because it's not like you're trying to get people who are into archaeology into games which like can can happen sure great good for you yeah. like if, if if people want to do that like awesome i love that for now them. you have a hobby but great but sort of like and not even hello fellow kids let's do some like not doing some like really like busted like anti-drug campaign kind of thing like trying oh. to like uh, trying to like ape like video games but you're actually saying like you may already be interested in archaeology you just don't know it yet uh, yeah. and 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 also um sort of what i what i brought up earlier about like gatekeeping like this is a way to do that because if somebody takes that first class and they're like well is it actually like this and be like it's something that is like misinformed or sort of um deliberately changed altered for a game like they may get shut down they may get sort of like dismissed because of the sort of this unseriousness of the medium that they that they learned about it through so i think that this this kind of um what you call a bridge like i think that's really necessary if we are to uh survive as a discipline Gotta reach the yeah. kids. <laughs> yeah, and, and and sort of be reflective of the people who want to participate in the. Uh, I don't want to give the impression that I think that like the, the 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 anthropology like as a system is like should be sustained, but like if it as it as it changes and as it um, I hopefully changes and opens itself up to um, new perspectives and which also include like new trajectories to to the field. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So, which is a great segue. I know. Um, so, um, my my last sort of question, specific to you, um, is: What do you think is next for the intersection of archaeology and gaming? And I'm I'm interested both in what you think um, is next in terms of what should be next in terms of like growth and and improvement, but also um, 
are there things that you sort of see on the horizon that are hope very aren't. bad yeah. that you hope don't come to pass, but like could very well sort of take shape? Well, the, the sort of sub-discipline of Archeo Gaming is really vibrant and young and has a lot of growth. So there's so much potential there. And I'm, I love, I'm going to really love watching to see that grow and all the brilliant stuff that comes out of it. In terms of games and archeology, span I do think there is, there is uh, hope and fears on the horizon. I think that that's apt. It's a good question because, you know, there are game developers who are doing a good job uh, uh, consulting with stakeholders, community members, uh, uh, with with uh, uh, scholars and experts to try and make their games robust and thoughtful and uh, and kind and and ethical and all these things we want to see out of games, right? And not make the mistakes that games have been making, like all media for decades, of uh, of falling into pitfalls of of, of stereotype and of um, you know uh, hypersexualization and a lot of the things that games have been criticized for over the years their treatment of uh, of of any uh, any minority group of of women right that they, they've been criticized very rightly for a long time for those things and there's a lot of momentum i think in the industry to move away from that and i think that scholars of those things have something to add to that not the only ones but we can we can bring that we can we can help with that project uh, the opposite is also true that that the um, that there are a lot of people in gaming spaces who are uh, trying to halt that progress. They don't want to see games move in that direction. They want to see games stay, you know, oh, keep your politics out of my games or whatever that means. Right. Like as if as if a piece of media can really be apolitical. Uh, what that really means is I only want to see my politics in games. Right. There's a lot of pushback from that. There are. There's a democratization happening in games right now, which I think is overall really good. We talked before about these tools that are now available. People can just make games. And so you have this explosion of indie games, which are games that are made by small studios, small teams, individuals. Sometimes those games can become huge. Um, uh, in fact, Outer Wilds is an example of that. Annapurna Interactive is a, is a publisher and they publish mostly sort of indie games, these smaller games probably medium-sized games, we'd say. But there's people making beautiful things, beautiful pieces of art, moving emotional experiences, games that tell powerful historical stories, uh, that speak about, that tell stories that have, that have been silenced for a long time. That opening up of the ecosystem makes space for those stories. It also potentially makes space for people who want to do the opposite, who want to tell people to shut up, that who want to uh, who want to uh, to say hateful things. There are games that have been made in the indie space that are hateful, that are disgusting, that are disturbing. Uh, they are meant to offend. They are meant to hurt. Right. Uh, and uh, so yeah, there's an a, approach, I guess. Yeah. Are right. They, are they also the realm of are they the realm of, of fantasy? Not not fantasy the genre, but fantasy like like a sort of wish fulfillment. Is Oftentimes, that times, yeah. Often like the sort of the like, you know, I this is my my opportunity to exercise violence against yeah, who I, I dislike. Yeah, I I dislike. There, are, there are examples like that for sure. Yeah, that are that are meant to be fantasy power fantasies and fantasy mm -hmm. fulfillments of doing horrible things. Uh yeah, there are definitely games like that in the indie space and maybe even not in the indie space. The indie space uh, uh, breaks people out of that those restrictions so they can just make 
beautiful things that aren't those things or that might have violence in them, but they're still doing something more than that, right? They're still Mm -hmm. saying something more. Uh, It also does open up uh, in some ways, though, that 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 traditional system also acted as gatekeepers. Uh, They acted as gatekeepers in lots of ways. They also acted as content. uh, You know, they could restrict content that wasn't, you know, quote unquote, family friendly. And now those restrictions are sometimes not there, uh, which means that people are also going to make really ugly things. Uh, So who's going to win out in that in that battle? I, I think the games that are beautiful and wonderful and thoughtful and kind are ultimately gonna gonna win that battle but um if it is oh man i'm, I'm putting it into overtly a violent uh, metaphor even look at me uh right so that that like it's a battle uh they're going to um they're gonna win that they're gonna win the day i think uh but it, it you know we need to be aware that people are going to make that stuff and there are reactionary makers in games as we push for things like we want games that are sensitive to descendant communities. We want games that include the voices of indigenous people. If you're going to tell their stories as that, as those voices become louder, the reactionaries to that are also going to become louder. Um, And that's something we should expect and be ready for, I think would be my warning. I'd say. We're going to take one more quick ad break and then we'll be back with our hardest questions. Hey, fans of APN Podcasts, we've got lots of designs over at our Tee Public store. Every purchase helps out the APN with a few cents back to us. Check out the high-quality t-shirts, stickers, phone cases, coffee mugs, and a lot more. There are lots of colors to choose from in most of those items, and Tee Public often runs 30% discounts. So check out the store at arcpodnet.com shop. That's arcpodnet.com shop, and click on the link. We're back. And we have two more questions for Dr. Bill Farley. First of all, what is the best thing about archaeology? Thankfully, this question I got ahead of time. So I've been thinking about it for the last (laughs) since yesterday. Um, Here's my answer to that. I'm really interested in issues of like heritage uh, and that such. I talk about that stuff a lot in my videos. It's also something I'm just interested in from a scholarly perspective. It's also something I'm interested in just personally and artistically, right? Uh, The thing I love about archaeology is the way that it allows us to link to the past and the future, right? It puts us into a um, a continuum of time that links us both to our ancestors and our descendants. And I really like exploring that idea. What, What does that mean, right? All of us have ancestors um, and those ancestors have moved around the world and, and, and been of different cultures and spoken different languages and, and uh, looked different and experienced different uh, challenges in their lives. And archaeology gives us a, ch- a chance to, to connect with that, both by looking at our own ancestry, but also uh, the ancestry of, of, of everyone on the planet, right? The, just broadly thinking about archaeology, that's not necessarily, I don't want to say that you can, you can only think about archaeology by your own ancestors. I don't think that that's that's true. Um, uh, so, I, but it also allows us to think about our descendants in that way too. How will our descendants? How will the people of the future view us um, as a part of that great continuum? And that can have powerful impacts on our role in the world today. Right? What are we doing to make the world better? To make the world survive? To make uh, to make the world a friend, a, a kinder 
uh, place um, um, as we move to the next generation. And we all know that we're living through times where that seems quite challenging. Um, and uh, but uh, but there are a lot of good, wonderful people who are who are trying to do good in the world. Um, and I see a lot of archaeologists who are I would include in that crew. So um, I, I think archaeology can give us by understanding heritage, by understanding our own histories um, and the, and and deep history we can, it brings us a much better perspective on how we can make the world better for the future as well. That's my, that's my, uh, my optimistic take. Yeah. yeah. No, that's great. You need that. No, it's Yeah, we do need that. Um, and so I have a one last question for you. Um, and that is if you could be present for any moment in human history or prehistory um, or the history of anthropology itself, uh, what would you want to see? And we're quite, Loose on the rules here. So you yeah. can be, or even the history of gaming. <laughs> oh, I didn't even think about that. The history. Sorry, I didn't include it no. in the questions we sent over. <laughs> no, no, no. That, like, no. I want to be a fly on the wall in the room where they decided that that press release quantifying <laughs> their diversity was a yeah, good no. idea. Oh, where no, they decided that? that Mario's last name was also Mario. Oh, that's the moment. I want to be in the room. <laughs> When they decided that Mario's last name was also Mario. (laughs) I want to be there. No, I thought about this a lot and I really was, um, was just racking my brains about this because it wasn't, I didn't think of anything for my own research. You know, I I wouldn't necessarily want to go back to 1630s Connecticut. That's not a a necessarily, I mean, fascinating, but like, I can't, I'd like, I I don't know. I don't know. Like there's, so the, the answer I came up with is nothing to do with like anything that I study or games, although it has a connection to games. Mm -hmm. And the answer that I came up was, I would like to be, I don't want to actually be physically present, but I'd like to be the fly on the wall during the uh, uh, all the stuff that went down during the Pazzi conspiracy in uh, 1478 Florence. So this is where uh, 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 Lorenzo de' Medici and his, and his brother were like uh, the, the Pazzi's were another a family, Florentine okay. family. And they tried to like overthrow the Medici's and like a bunch of people got murdered. And it was like and this it, is the it, point at which like the Medici's were popes and yes, like, they were incredibly powerful. They were at they the were height of their power the and they patrons were, of Da Vinci. Yep. And, uh, and, and, uh, this, this family, the Pazzi tried to overthrow them and they failed miserably, although they did kill, um, one of the, one of the major members of the, fa- of the, of the uh, Medici family. This is supposedly the inspiration in some part for the story of the Godfather, actually, supposedly. Mm. Um, it, it actually plays out very similarly to that. In the sense of like warring families who well, are no, incredibly no, like powerful. The, sort of like the inspiration, like for the, the novel, because like the movie. I think so. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Well. Yeah, the okay. story that happens in the first Godfather movie, which is just part of the book, right? right. Um, really weirdly reflects this this story you know the whole the whole uh murder of um of the of the of the father and then they and then they go on a spree they go to the mattresses and all so, so i'm italian american i and so i i'm interested in italian history again i was talking about right being interested in my own heritage yeah. in that way uh so i've always been fascinated there is a game connection to this that i didn't even yeah. think about until right the now godfather game no there is a godfather game yeah that's what i thought i was gonna be <laughs> I played the heck out of that game. No, that you could, that wasn't what I was thinking of. I was actually thinking of Assassin's Creed 2. 
which is oh, a game. It's with, Venice, right? It that's the one. It takes Venice? place in. It also partially takes place in Venice. Most of it takes place in Florence, and Florence. in a and basically the story of Assassin's Creed Two rotates around this moment in history. Like, yeah. So it is. Are it you, is. Are yeah. you, is one an assassin? You no. It, or does one oh, adhere God. to a creed? I haven't played that game in, in that so game. Long. In oh, you're games. you're but yeah, it's both. You're both an assassin and uh yes, you you I, it's assassins the creed belongs to the assassin. It's, it's, an <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> it's no, this is creed. like how entry level I am. I just like can you diagram the title for me? <laughs> the Assassin's Creed. Although I don't recall Would you like the the plot of Assassin's Creed 2? Yes. Oh, okay, let's hear it. Let's see. Let's see if I uh the game's plot is set in a fictional history of real-world events and follows the millennia-old struggle between the assassins who fight to preserve peace and free will and the Templars who desire peace through control. The main narrative of Assassin's Creed II takes place at the height of the Renaissance in Italy from 1476 to 1499 and follows Ezio? Oh, Ezio. 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 Yeah. Ezio. Great video game, uh, Ezio's journey as an assassin while seeking revenge against those responsible for the death of his father and brothers. So he's, okay. I suppose. So, so Ezio is the. Yeah, he's, he, I believe that his father and brothers, again, it's been many years into the game. I think his father and brothers are killed as a part of this plot. Okay. They're like they're allies with the Medici and they get murdered. I sure. That sounds, uh, that sounds like what uh, happens in the Italian that Renaissance. That very, um, uh, counterproductive for one adhering to the Assassin's Creed. Yeah. Because I thought that this no is, free will. Can, but but like yeah. but like the Medici was where like the established they were the deep state. Uh, they were the man. Yeah. yeah. At that point, so it it be, the, the whole series ends up being a kind of rough, like yeah, authoritarianism morality play. Yeah, the Templars yeah. authoritarians and the the assassins are. I don't know, libertarians, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> okay. And uh, yeah, so it ends up being a kind of coarse poli- uh, political play. Uh, they're popcorn games for sure. I they also get out of that. Uh, I, that is one of the most unexpected answers we've ever gotten on the show. <laughs> yeah. I think with that, we can wrap up the episode. So this this has been wonderful. I've learned so yeah. much and I have so many more questions, which is really the best way to kind of finish a, an interview episode, which is just like, duh, there's so much for me to look into now that I will yeah. never have time to do. But thank you so much, Bill. Um, it's been a real pleasure. Yeah. Where can people find you on the internet and all oh. your stuff? All your stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Archaeology Game where I'm somewhat active. Uh, <laughs> and uh, that's, uh, you, you know, if you want to look up my scholarship, you just search, you know, if you just Google my name with like a uh, research gate or academia or whatever, you can find me. You can yeah, find we'll, we'll put some links in our show notes. Yeah. Oh yeah. But the most important one for sure is definitely mm-hmm. my, my YouTube channel, which is at youtube.com slash C slash video game archaeology all one word uh and that will take you to a lovely treasure trove of hours of content and entertainment and also other stuff so uh yeah check that out yeah we will put a link to that in our show notes as well and we will be checking that out all right well thank you so much this was so fun yeah and listeners will be coming back to you next week with more content and until then you could find all of our back episodes on our website thedirtpod.com or over on the archaeology podcast network 
You can also find us on Facebook, where we are The Dirt Podcast. On Twitter, we're at Dirt Podcast. And on Instagram, we're at The Dirt Pod. And hey, if you don't want to go to any of those places, uh, that all feeds into our website. So again, you can go to thedirtpod.com for socials, for merch, for educational resources, and for much more. And uh, that's going to do it. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. Thank you. We love you, listeners. Goodbye. (laughs) Yeah. Bye. This episode was produced by Chris Webster from his RV traveling the United States, Tristan Boyle in Scotland, DigTech LLC, Cultural Media, and the Archaeology Podcast Network. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archpodnet.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Please consider leaving a review on your favorite podcasting app. You could also consider becoming a member so we can keep content like this free and available to all. Check out pricing and info at archpodnet.com slash members. Thanks again and have a great day.